That's awesome. Welcome to Minefields. My name is Joshua Michael. Welcome. This is my best friend in the whole world, Colin. You better be uh, I just wanted to try to throw you off. <laughs> it's only because the, yeah, you didn't do it. It's only because we were just talking about... How did we get to there? Chinese? Oh, we were talking no, I because just, I always say it's the first year of the plague. Whenever uh, we, so we talked about this before. Right when we start recording, uh, I always say the date and the time. And I started getting silly and saying the first year of the plague... That's my stupid recurring joke. That's why you thought of the, the Chinese COVID. They did this to us, goddammit. I know it. They, they're trying to get us. You could have you no. been the Mexican-American neighbor in Hank Hill's neighborhood, right? Uh, With that accent. <laughs> no, if I, if I was in King of the Hill, I would have 100% either been... Uh, definitely not John Redcorn, but I would. Oh, he's a great. <laughs> probably character. would have been. I probably would have been Dale's uh, ne'er do well friend, Octavio, uh, <laughs> voiced by Danny Trejo, who was always like awesome. helping him orchestrate illegal schemes. I love that guy. Oh yeah, yeah. Now uh, we were talking sense. about John Moxley. Uh, we were. Yep. God. We, all right, so we get pumped up a lot. We get on the jazz, uh, but a lot of times we listen to wrestling themes, and the problem is that I don't think that John Moxley's theme is nearly as good as Dean Ambrose's. I, from the, from, you know, the, from the moments of just like, you know what, hey, I can't ever, I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Like, you get it when you're at a WWE show. It feels like they are really pushing it at WWE. They, that is part of the brand of that character. And I think that everybody's got to have that intro. But it's nothing, it's not Kenny Omega, it's not... It's not Cody. It's not. Uh, it's nobody. Like A A A W. It just doesn't feel like those themes are coming over as awesome. Like there's a lot of times I, when I've seen when I've seen guys showing up and I'm like, I didn't know what I was hearing until I saw them flash Young Bucks or Pentagon Junior or something like that. Wait a minute, Pentagon Junior's not there, is he? Yeah, he is. Maybe I'm thinking of uh, you haven't watched AEW no, in a long time. You're right, but like, what? It's the other guy that I'm thinking of. Uh, Phoenix, super huge, tall guy. Punishment, uh, Punishment Martinez. Punishment Martinez. Is he he's still in NXT OH, now? Oh, no, really? He's in, okay. he's, in, he's in NXT now, and they're not using him like a bunch of dumbasses, That's fucking what idiots. They freaking do over there. Now, my theory on Moxley's theme, the reason why it's not not as good. I'm not saying it's bad. It, it's it's fucking catchy. I, I dig it. But the thing about it is that Ambrose's music reminded me of a, a thing about DJM uh, saying how uh, the best way to start a DJ set is to find a good track, something so good it's like lighting a stick of dynamite. Oh and, yeah, that's awesome. And and good then point. you go from you go from there after the explosion knocks everyone off their feet. Then you figure out where you're going because. And um, another bit of good DJ advice I got was from Jeremy Dawson from the Shiny Toy Guns was pay attention to people's shoes. Uh, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's super easy. They all walk in in gaiters and, and, uh, and uh, F, uh, F Force, uh, Air Force Ones. 
what do you think they want? I'm like, hip hop. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. They all walk in and Air beat Force up. Air Force Ones for your uh, ultra white best friend here. Nikes, dude. Those are fucking Nikes, man. High top Nikes. They're fucking gorgeous. Huh. Um, they're expensive. Uh, they're they're right up there with Jordans, man. And uh, everyone walks in and beat up old Chucks. What are you playing? Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was 2004. No, 2007. So I was like, well, shit, Electra. He's like, yeah, that's it. <laughs> man, that's sneaky. I didn't know that stuff. But Ambrose's music, being the lunatic fringe, that was exactly the, the, the burn of the wick on that dynamite yeah, stick. Dude, then, yeah, it's like, it's like a Mission Impossible theme right before the explosion. Yeah, I dig. I totally dig. I, I would love to play it for everybody in case you don't have it, but uh, we're not going to get in trouble for that kind of licensing BS. So uh, find it. It's rad. Sit there and check out. Like, I've got a bunch of WWE ringtones, and I tack them onto my different buddies and stuff like that, and they don't even know because they don't <laughs> – I don't know why. It's just like it's funny whenever my buddy Chris calls and John Cena's music pops up. It has nothing to do with him, even though I think he's more of a Kurt Angle. I need to switch that over to Kurt Angle. But uh, John Cena, the, the more and more I learn about John Cena, the more I don't like him. Really? Yeah, I love the, all this charity work, uh, this awesome meme. That, no, it wasn't a meme. It was a snap of a poorly worded uh, news article that John Cena surprises kid with cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where's the, uh, where's the uh, comma go in that one? Yeah, um, I don't know. I just don't like hearing the stories about him burying people. Uh, if something looked yeah. too close to his move, he'd freak the fuck out. But even then, man, like, it, like the more I'm around wrestlers, the, and I knew it beforehand, but goddamn, do I really didn't know? Is holy shit, some of these guys are some divas. Well, <laughs> so yeah. like, like, no, no, not just like they're not just diva, like, like they're catty or or they'll kick your ass. They're like uh, drag queen diva right, quality. Right. <laughs> they're like they're they're right up there, man. They slave over everything, and uh, it, it I get a real kick out of it. Because if, if, if you really want to emotionally manipulate a wrestler, uh, say something like, you know, I really I really thought different of you. <laughs> like, all right. Say something like, well, what's that supposed to mean? And then, and then you get blown up with all these messages like, well, I didn't mean it like that. And this, <laughs> like, calm down, dude. I'm just fucking with you. I really only said that to get that out of you so you to fuck well, with you. Give me like three guys you think uh, – or three wrestlers, and it doesn't have to be guys, that you think aren't divas. Uh, let's see. Aren't divas. Wrestlers that aren't divas. I think, I think I like hearing the phrase locker room leader, though I can still see people being divas. I feel well, like here, a locker room le- leader is the person who is probably least likely to be a diva. Do you think Here Seth the, Rollins is that guy? Okay, so do you want Indy, the people I personally know? It doesn't or matter. People? Yeah, hit me up. Sh- throw it Okay, out there. so in Colorado Springs, hands down, the locker room leader is Big Guns, Justin Andrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't say he's a diva, but he definitely has areas that you wouldn't want to tread into. The man is, he's got the biggest heart. Uh, he will put anyone over. Like he, I've seen him lose more than I've ever seen him win because he was trying to shine someone up and make the make everyone look good, make the make uh, CSW look good, make Primos look good, make uh, New Era look good. Um, but at the same time, though, uh, I, like he wants to make sure that he's trucking with the right people. 
So uh, the diva is the wrong word. He's just he's just careful about who he's around and who he talks to. Uh, for example, uh, my buddy Animal Sam. Sammy and I have become like good friends. Nice. And after that, after that South Park, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage episode with the uh, transgender athlete, um, uh, he was like calling everyone transphobe. Oh, hey, transphobe. This is a nice <laughs> surprise. Uh, like, uh, we, we've been calling each other transphobe. Like, since then, none of us are transphobe. Like, shit, we, we, there's, there's actually uh, transgender wrestlers here in Colorado Springs and Denver. We fucking love them. No problem with them. Uh, like it's not it's not even anything even gives a shit about or even talks about. But uh, on a random thread, um, uh, Sammy called me transphobe, and uh, and Guns messaged me like, "Yo, what's up with Sammy saying that? Like, is he is he serious?" I'm like, oh. I'm like and I'm like, "No, dude, this is an inside yeah, joke." Yeah, I don't know if you should put inside jokes like that out there. We're, we're, yeah, exactly. But even then, like, Big Guns was just making sure I wasn't being an asshole because. He's opened up to me about a lot of cool things. I mean, he's uh, dude. One of the things I loves about I love about him is when he wears his yarmulke uh, with his suit to uh, the shows. Like, yeah. like the only time, and this is something that really impresses me about wrestlers, and they don't have to do it, but it's definitely one of those uh, big league things you need to start doing right away. Uh, I know sometimes it's not always you can't always do it because you just got off of work and had to haul ass and barely making it to your match. But uh, when you can, show up in a suit, tie, cologne, air, ho- air ho- uh, oiled, you know, yeah, looking yeah. to the nines. Um, uh, I remember uh, Bearded Lady does it. He shows up in a suit, tie, after a six-hour long-ass drive from Albuquerque to Colorado Springs in a Dude, suit. That's putting in smelling good hours to get to go do something that's hard yeah. that you love. Correct. And then Big Guns always show – like the only time you ever see Big Guns uh, not dress to the nines is if he's uh, in the ring or if uh, it's early in the day and we're setting up the ring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he goes home. He changes. He comes like I, – I, like, I, I like – he's got the best uh, cologne. I like to just like, – I know Big Guns <laughs> is there because you can smell him. He's awesome. And he's, he's uh, eyes contact. Uh, he like if you if you know how to play by the rules, you know like if he's talking to people, showing something, don't interrupt him, leave him the fuck alone. Yeah. Uh, it be and, and, and it's a thing you got to be careful with because you can't just be like, hey guys, how you doing? Like, no, when you show up at the at a, at a wrestling show at, at the beginning, unless people like, it's time to work. So you, you're you're setting up the ring. If you're not setting up the ring, uh, these dudes are they're going over the match. Don't fucking bother them. But the, the problem is is that you have to say hello to everyone. It's like a house party yeah. in Albuquerque. Uh, you don't go to a party in Albuquerque and not shake literally everyone. Say, I'm Joshua. Joshua Michael, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Did, you you have to say hello to everyone. Otherwise, they will know that you big league someone and you're we, we've got a problem. But, That's weird, man. That makes me think of college parties when I was a lot younger. Uh, you know, we used to have that thing where you'd go in and you had to say hi to everybody. Or you at least like get eye contact. Hey, hey, what's yeah. up? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know that kind of it, thing. It, exactly, but like you have to say hello to everyone. But if they're busy discussing a match or they're going over anything, mm-hmm. leave them the fuck alone. Dudes like big guns will notice, and like he won't even look at you. Like he's busy focused on this, but he sees you. And afterwards, you know he'll come like fist bump, hug handshake depending pre or during covid whatever um yeah. that that that's just how it works you you, you gotta it, there's a, a higher 
there's a hierarchy to it. Uh, you might get big league by someone that just you know just because they feel like big league and you just don't don't take it to heart. Uh, just uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's 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 a thing. Just you, you, it, there's a etiquette to it, and it's it's actually my favorite etiquette because if you're whether you're an artist or um, painter, I mean, or um, or like in a band. You're getting shit done, but at the same time, you know the sound guy. You'll say hi to him in a minute. Mm-hmm. He knows mm-hmm. that you saw him. Uh, it's 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 my favorite. It's my favorite way of life. Like I, I've never been more happy than being in the wrestling business. I've always been really <clears throat> torn up over that kind of thing myself. With in my work in the film industry, there are days where you're just getting shafted. You're you're on a project and it's too much. You you know you. You have to work, you have to earn that money, and you're going to show up and everybody's freaking happy, oh, blah, 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 because they're having a great show or they're okay this week or whatever, and they, are, they got what they need, but I'm con- I have consistently been so sh- shafted by projects not wanting to put money into my department or not giving me enough people or definitely not having enough time. And also I realized at a certain point that I was doing it to myself. I was definitely being negative all the time and incapable of being happy when I got to work and saying hello to everybody and stopping by the crafty table. Like I don't have time for breakfast. I got to go, go, go because you're never getting enough sleep. And all of that adds up because maybe you still had to go back to your home hotel or back to your place and work on stuff. I screwed myself into that kind of thing because I chose projects that didn't allow for the best outcome. And I'm, I'm so glad you brought it. this up. Yeah, I'm so gl- I'm so glad you brought this up because I'm slaving away in the indies, trying to be a writer, trying to be a producer, working sound. I'm literally the best fucking wrestling DJ that's ever existed. Like, <laughs> I, I, had a, I had an amazing idea the other night for something I'll tell you afterwards. Uh, but uh, before I get to my uh, why I like why you brought that up, I just want to thank you, Big Guns. Uh, you're awesome. Uh, thanks for keeping everyone in line. Thanks for always shining everyone up, uh, wanting to, to be a big fish in a small pond that obviously belongs in a way bigger ocean and we can't wait to see you succeed. But uh, in regards to what you're saying is because I'm slipping away in the Indies, you're, you're working with, with guys that are like, uh, we brought up an actor last night. Uh, we're not going to mention his name that you worked with that a lot of people really like, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. this, this person is a legit asshole. Like, like, like son of a bitch, you're getting big league by that guy. As opposed oh, to yeah, in ways that you would never believe. You 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 would yeah. not. You could look at this person's expression more often than not and go, "Where's your self confidence, dude?" And at the same time, you're like, "What is your problem?" I is, the guy the guy makes idiotic amounts of money. He's constantly working. He's got women falling all over him. He's uh, he's. I don't think he's a legacy act, but he's got other family in the business with him and stuff yeah. like that. Major, major roles. Everybody who's listening to this, I guarantee you've seen this guy. You yeah. have definitely watched his movies and or and seen him on late night on all the talk shows. And it's like, what is up he's with this lovable, dude? Why are you when I see him on making interviews and... my life harder by uh, by 
you think it's method acting, but it's just this. It's being it's being overly self conscious and Perfect. not believing in yourself. It's just really rough. And it's like I got to come to work every day. If you you have to fake yourself out, you have to psych yourself out sometimes. I like I said, I've screwed myself into picking the job that was harder. Yeah. And having a hard time with it. The last the last movie I did, uh, there was enough time. There was enough money. It's because I waited for that, and I said no to something that was much bigger that was here. And uh, I mean, it, it, it's not the same thing. It's not wrestling. This is the film industry. When you get to where I am and my levels of responsibility, you have to choose the project that you're going to you're going to do when you get the opportunity but now we're in covid it's all different but saying hello to everybody and recognizing everybody there are days where it's just like everybody's work can just grind on them i don't care where you are what you do you could be working at i don't know let's on a nationwide chain i don't want to just say mcdonald's or something you can work anywhere and not feel it when you're coming into work and you just don't want that to last. You don't want it to no. last more than a day or two. Your life's problems. You have to. I don't know, man. I'm sorry, but like, I feel like you have to find a way to uh, make things mutually exclusive. Maybe your How life sucks, it? but if you're at work, hey, I'm at work for six or eight or twelve hours. So let's not let that stuff catch up to me here. And I'm not the best guy about that, but I've I've managed to pull it off for a while. I remember when I worked at this one place, they were like, leave your emotional backpack at the door. Well, that's uh, puffy. That's, yeah, it's puffy bullshit. That's, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that's impossible. Um, one of the things that I do like from this snowflake culture that's happening at the moment is the fact that, yeah, sometimes you really do got to acknowledge, like, yeah, someone is not in a good place right now. And um, it might affect their work, but, you know, don't fire them for it. And, yeah. you know, let, let, let's talk to them about it. Let's not fluff them up like a pillow just because corporate policy or some bullshit fucking leadership book you read says that's what you got to do. Um, no, you got to acknowledge people. I, I, I've had that happen to me myself um, where I you know, I couldn't leave my emotional backpack at the door. But once you find out that you're like where I work right now, um, they literally do care about us. Like it, it's it's not corporate bullshit. And if it is, it is. It is uh, masterful, <laughs> uh, illusory work because they, they go like the extra mile. Like I finally got to go back to uh, work at the center as opposed to work from home, and uh, I like uh, lunch is free. I'm, I'm, they don't, I'm not just saying that like you know they've got some box lunches there. They brought in a bunch of McDonald's burgers. No, the grill is open. Just stay six feet away. It's clearly marked. Like, what do you want? And I'm like, I want a burger. And like, you dude, want bacon? Dude, you want cheddar? That's for you real. want cheddar? I'm like, what? Any and business like, and you like, go to, and they're gonna hook you up on food, so you don't have to leave. So you don't have to go spend your your paycheck on yeah. on lunch. That that always helps. At least in my business, if they're not feeding you, you know you're on a shit show. You know, but, well, but they have to feed you on any quality project that I work on. My homeboy Gino said that when I told him an idea I had for a, a short, like fifteen minute film, uh, just on iPhones, and he was like, "Listen, uh, pay people." He said, "Pay people what you promise you're going to pay them. Mm-hmm. Pay them right away." And then second off, uh, Fed crew is a happy crew. 
Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah. It's just, you gotta. It's it's. You're feeding an army. Your your film sets work like an army. They have to be fed, or they can't fight. That's just the way it is, man. No, uh, well, well, before before we get off the subject, before we start talking about yeah. this kick-ass list of comics we got to go over, uh, what's the etiquette like in the film industry when you're working in crew? I mean, like, do you, it, like is it you show up, you got to introduce yourself to everyone, like we were saying ever earlier you about should. wrestling? Uh, it's it's well, not as it's it's not you think about okay you, I, I figure in wrestling if you don't introduce yourself to everybody and you don't have an, an appropriate rapport you're gonna get hurt you're yeah. there to perform well, not physically you're just not gonna get booked <laughs> well okay there's that i mean that's different yeah i mean that that also translates over and i you know minefielders take this for what it's worth as our uh concepts of professionalism there's like I say, there's days where I'm gonna come in and I'm in too much of a hurry to say hi to every makeup girl on the way to set or to say hello to the PAs or whatever or anybody for that matter. But you know, you might go to work and not even see the producers all day because they're off doing something. They're, they're either doing something or they're I don't know hanging out with the the cast. I, who the hell knows? But like, I think it, I think with wrestling, you know, if if they don't have an understanding, a guy that works stiff could hurt somebody. You got to talk to one another, and then like, you know, yeah, you, you get to you get to work on one of my jobs. I'm a department head. I'm gonna be there for production meetings before the show starts in pre-production, and you're gonna have like a page turner a full production meeting and everybody, every department head is going to be there. And that is the opportunity to meet everybody and figure each other out before you go into the trenches with them. Is this guy full of shit? Is this, is this chick a diva? What kind of questions are people asking? Do they, are they, are they attention seeking questions? Are they just answering other people's questions? What do they have to offer? There's a lot to be sorted out from people in that meeting, and a lot of people dread it. It's, it could be a four to eight to 12 hour day of just sitting there reading the script page after page, and the, you can figure out real quick what kind of show is this going to be. Is the first, the first AD, nobody understands this. When, you, when you're watching these silly programs, these commercials, movies, TV shows, and you're seeing a film set, and you've got the per the director is not the person generally who's you know oh action blah 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 lights camera action that's bullshit nobody's actually saying it like that there are other callouts yeah the first assistant director is the person who is in charge of the crew the director is in charge of coordinating what's, what's going on with the actors and the uh, and other department heads to a degree but most of that information needs to come through the first ad. And the first AD is also in charge of the, the schedule. So, like, you can figure out, is this person going to be a jerk? Is this person going to be tight-ass? You know, what, what kind of person is, the, is this first AD going to be fun, but, you know, commanding, but even-handed? There's a lot to be taken from that. I've worked with some real pieces of work, and I've worked with some amazing first ADs over the years. I've been the first AD, and uh, I quite let, uh, enjoy it. But, let, like... Uh, let let the minefielders know what some of the big league movies have worked on. Oh, I mean, if it's been filmed in Oklahoma, uh, chances are I worked on it at least since, like, 2005. I had a stint in L.A. from 2006 to 2009. So in, in, in Oklahoma, I, I worked on 
uh, a Terrence Malick movie. It's called To the Wonder. Had Ben Affleck and Olga Kurnenko and Terrence Malick. Yeah, he did the Thin Red Line. He was the director of the Thin Red Line. He was the director of um, Badlands, uh, Night of Cups, which I've got a DVD of. I need to sit down and watch it. It's uh, I don't know if it's his. Oh, uh, the the New World and um, Children, not Children of Men. Uh, what is that one? Um, uh, ah, I can't think of it. Suddenly, so move on. So that was a huge. That was a huge movie. By way of uh, the scope, but uh, because that guy he's trying to make a masterpiece every time he does it, and he doesn't always hit the mark. But uh, anyway, they're very artsy movies. Did August Osage County with scores of people in it? Um, I did. Uh, oh, I just finished up a tornado movie called Thirteen Minutes. Yeah, I did that before Christmas. Um, I've done a lot of smaller movies. And that's one of those things you have to ask yourself. It's like, okay, am I doing this because I need to work? Or am I doing this because I like the people I'm working with? Am I doing this because I think I can do this and it's just a paycheck? You know, the opportunities are all over the place. And sometimes it's like, okay, no, I'm really going to do this. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot of small movies. They did another Hellraiser and another, I think... uh, what was the other one? Uh, like Children of the, the Corn or something? They some of these you, pr- companies you were that. losing their uh, their rights to own those titles. So that's they did what a bunch I of that's what I heard lately. was done. Huh? Who? You worked on that Hellraiser movie that didn't, didn't have Doug Bradley? No, I didn't work on that. Oh, thank God. <laughs> I was uh, I don't know where I was when that. I'm, I'm sure I went. I think I probably went out of state to work on something. Every once All in right. a while, you get the opportunity to go out of state and work in a different market and. Uh, Sometimes you that's New Orleans? better. Huh? Were you in New Orleans or Atlanta for that one? I have not worked in Atlanta, and uh, I have not worked in New Orleans. I've, I've worked in uh, New York, L.A., West Virginia, Texas. I think I was down on, like, Alita Battle Angel when, when uh, they were doing some of those other shorter, smaller movies. But I guess the last thing I want to say about all of this stuff um, is... Uh, and this isn't exactly work related, but like when you, when you're feeling like crap, when your life is screwed up and you go to work and things are just not going so well for you, the, one of the best things you can do is when you spot somebody else who's having a hard time, give, find out what's happening with them and try to help them with their problems. It's amazing how, you know, they could be having, problems with their their significant other they could have problems with the health of somebody they could be just like they just need a new tire who the hell knows but like listen to them and somehow i I just find that to be super gratifying that's all i got on that stuff that's 30 minutes of (laughs) of of all of that you're like like, let's let's do a topic and i was like okay let's do this okay not 30 minutes what we can pull out of nowhere when we're just when we when we don't know how to start sometimes (laughs) well you you and i have been in the shit man we've been in the shit and we've we've got some stuff to say like like i said like uh we talked about that's how you conduct yourself uh if you're just starting out in the wrestling biz Mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. how you conduct yourself if you're just showing up on set, you don't know what the shit you're doing and you're just waiting for instructions. I guess wherever uh, you're working, whatever you're doing, always just try to conduct yourself like a professional. 
Yep. Doesn't matter. Now. You know, you work at a library, you work in a middle school, janitors, who, who the hell knows? It doesn't matter. Just you bus driver, conduct yourself like a professional, and you, you just leave so much less for anybody to nail you over later. We got some kick-ass comics to go over. Yeah, it's comics time. Let's run comics down time. the list. Let me let me let me say what I've got. Well, I've got Doc. Well, it was a Doctor Strange number five. I've got uh, where'd it go? I've got Empire Fantastic Four issue zero. Totally shocked me. Uh, got, you and I both did Ghostbusters, didn't we? Ghostbusters year one number Ghostbusters, four. Ghostbusters year one number four. The one the we were Egon. really waiting for. The Honestly, Egon one. Yeah. I, it's amazing. <laughs> As a kid, I always was like, no, I'm going to be Egon because I, he's the smart one and because I've got glasses and that's the character I have to play. I was always Bankman because he's the one that gets the chicks. <laughs> uh, we've got – I say I've got Nailbiter Returns number two and we both have – actually, we've read most uh, – I've only read, not read two of these – uh, but Negan Lives, number one. That's the meat and potatoes today, guys. Yeah, I guess so. Let's uh, start out with some Ghostbusters, dude, man. What a great issue. I still, I, and that's the thing, up. like, in the end, I, I was like, this is a great issue. And I still was like, mm, I want more. I don't need the lead-in to whatever's coming next. I just want more about this situation. Uh, and you I, gotta, I, gotta, you, I mean... Opening the first, it, like going inside on the on the on the inside credits page, that one full frame, like the dossier, uh, do, all of yeah. the dossiers and all of those knickknacks left over from different uh, moments in the first movie. It's just amazing. Yeah, and and it's like, guys, these IDW books, and we've said it a million times before how good they are. Um, this is careful. T- careful attention to detail uh this is not like oh let's just find out the origin of slimer people will buy that shit right no that's not that this is not a cash grab this is a long labor of love um question when you're reading this do you listen to it uh when when you hear the voices in your head uh when you're reading do you uh, hear egon's voice <laughs> as uh, as you harold ramis you know what i'm gonna say and I don't know if it's because of the way it's illustrated. I hear um, Laszlo. Maurice what the heck is his name? Laszlo, or the guy that played Vankman on the Ghostbusters cartoon when Vankman's talking. I hear Ernie Hudson when Winston is talking. Okay, okay, okay hold on. We're getting we're getting deviate here. Okay, so uh, the guy that played. The, the original voice of Vakeman was someone different, and then it was eventually taken over by Dave Coulier. What? Really? Yeah, Dave Coulier took that over. I didn't and know then, that. And then the voice of Egon was Maurice LaMarche, who did like most of the kick-ass voices in Futurama. He's been in The Simpsons. Uh, I mean, like just, just look him up. Um, I have no idea. Uh, Winston was played by Arsenio Hall. In, in the cartoons? In the, in the cartoon, Arsenio Hall was Winston. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I don't know these things. 
And uh, yeah, he's got the, the original voice of Venkman was was different. Keep talking while I look that up. Yeah. So I, I, I I'm sorry. Yeah. Like you open up the front cover of this and you see the credits page. Uh, let me go into the credits real quick. Written by Eric Burnham, art by Dan Schoening, uh, colors by Luis and Luis Antia. I'm so hung up on it. Luis Antonio Delgado and letters by Neil Uitake. Uh, this this little montage bit is so amazing. There's there's a resume for well I'm gonna say it's a dossier on Winston. There is a, uh, a there's a his Marine Sergeant stripes there. I'm gonna say what looks like part of a black belt. Uh, also uh, there's a check. Like, why is Winston writing a check to somebody? I wonder about that. Or it's written to him, I'm sorry. But one of my favorite things here I just realized is that the keys, which I can only assume are to Ecto-1, are uh, Elwood Motors Incorporated, which is an obvious Blues Brothers tie-in. Correct. Uh, don't, forget the, don't forget the slinky. Yeah, the, I saw the, the un, slinky the un, on the other the side. Unstraightened sl the the uh, unstraightened slinky. Unstraightened that... slinky. There's a ghost trap under the desk. There is an Omni magazine under the phone, which uh, harkens back to the montage bit. I was looking at this long rod for a minute, and I realized that that was part of the uh, sensor equipment that Egon has in the Ghostbusters commercial and that Peter is, like, spraying around in Dana's apartment. So he's not spraying, he's... <laughs> yeah, just, just squirt. I don't know what... Not to mention, of course, like, you've got the other stuff, the PKE meters. And then I looked at one thing, and I was like, why is there... Is that, like, a... I thought that the, 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 there's a coin with uh, some torn-off ticket stubs, and it's I It's gotta be a... It's gotta be a, like, gambling coin or something. I thought for a second that that was a cigar strip, because uh, Ray is smoking a cigar at the end of the movie when the credits start. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that, I mean, just really wonderful little callbacks. And that's what we've, we're, we're talking about, how good IDW is and what they're doing with this. Dude, for real, this one image says so much about how much they're paying attention to every little Easter egg. The, the the fact that this is if you actually drew this out this is four this is four full size comic art pages of Bristol board. Wow. It, it it's it's the my question and, and uh, Lorenzo music was the voice the original Lorenzo voice of Aikman. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he uh, unfortunately passed back in two thousand one of a uh, bone marrow cancer and lung cancer. Oh. So uh, rest in peace, brother, because thank you so much. Dude, but yeah, yeah, Dave Dave, Dave Coulier, Mr. Probably Gave Alanis Morissette herpes himself. Um, well, she said it. She said it in the song, man. You want to know the the cross that I bear. <laughs> Can you I, hear how quiet I'm being? Wow. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's someone that got an STD from someone pissed off. But um. My question to you was, when you're listening to Egon talk, are you hearing Harold Ramis, or are you hearing uh, Maurice LaMarche from the real Ghostbusters? I think it varies. There's something, like, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining Harold Ramis, for sure. Uh, it's just, for whatever reason, I gravitate towards Harold Ramis with the look. And the, the way that he is illustrated here, somehow it just doesn't work for me. 
and it's and well, this is a more authentic appearance of him by way of the drawing than what we got with the weird hairdo that like Elvis hairdo or something that was in the cartoon series, you know, the real Ghostbusters. Right. Now this is a, a violation of what the real Ghostbusters did because if you ever watch, if you guys have ever seen the very first episode, the pilot is they just get back from defeating Gozer. It's like they 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 they've got they're taking their suits off. They're throwing them away because they've got some new ones, the colored ones that they wear for the rest, rest of the time. But this one is, it, this one's picking up where the movie actually left off and kind of ignores that. And we get to see the aftermath with Egon downstairs in the basement trying to figure out how to make sure what happened when the power grid turns off that the uh, the ecto containment unit doesn't blow up. And we're finding the reporter finally getting a hold of Egon, escorted by Winston into Ghostbusters HQ firehouse. Uh, to finally get to interview him, and because he's, he actually was the most difficult one because he simply just didn't have time. Bakeman was big league in her. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Egon just didn't have the time. I mean, it, it simply wasn't something that merited his time. But I assume the reason he did it was because everyone else was, and it was part of a, a, a bigger story. But we get to see like the, it, and it's funny to me because from the cartoon where it's this giant monstrosity. And in the movie, it's this thing that just plugs into the wall. I mean, it basically looks like a modified stove, if you think about it. Pretty much, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, but we, some of the stuff that... Uh, some of the, the... The way Egon chooses his words here, I don't think he's going out of his way to choose his words. It's just interesting, for some reason, it feels like a treat to hear him explain anything. And agreed. It's strange because it's like, it's like he's an historical figure in this issue. I don't understand why I'm taking it from his perspective. Like, no, I, I, I'm glad you did. One Ghostbuster. I'd pick Egon. <laughs> I know. I'd it's, pick it, Egon. It's like, <sighs> I'd I'd party with Venkman. <laughs> I'd go I'd go have a drink at the bar, like a, like a a, a nice. Like like a like smoke a cigar, drink a good whiskey, a sipping whiskey with Winston. Uh, I would with Ray. I would want to go to an amusement park, but with <laughs> Egon, I, I'm going to have a bag of cassette tapes just record every goddamn thing out of his mouth. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Like, I don't know why. It's just like I really want to hear him explain something, and I want to hear why he feels like that and i want him to and i and it's just in our like he says ray was over the moon and it's like even that for some reason feels like are we playing with his voice or are we um or do we really feel like he would say that i just don't get like why this is so you know if i could go back and visit it and meet any world war ii figure or any civil war figure who would i want to meet it just feels like Hanging on every word. It's like when we talked to Jim Shooter. Of just like every single droplet was, you had to absorb it. It's that sit on your and the edge of your seat. I don't know why. In this instance, that it's so important to me. And now I'm just like, yeah, I can't wait to read every other issue of this. This is just good writing. I mean, like the story that Egon tells is something little that has major repercussions as opposed to something that is big and is something that you really, you know, don't really have to think about this one. We find 
uh, post Cedric Hotel, mm-hmm. Egon is more concerned with like they're just happy they just got paid. Egon's more concerned about the trap. Yeah. And and, and checking it. They get back in, and it's one of those good things about IDW. They're funny, man. Like. Vakeman uh, hands Janine the check, and she's like, "That's how much you charge? I want to raise. I want to raise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. raise." And uh, uh, I wonder if they were, man, like, man, I would have killed to been a fly on the wall in this writing uh, writing session, mm-hmm. because like, what would bother you the most about anything to do with the Ghostbusters? Well, let's just talk about the equipment. Well, the equipment always worked. What if it didn't? Precisely. I mean, I what think if there it, are stories to be told where something didn't work, and like how, the the opportunity for 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 failure here, and the opportunity for guilt in not coming oh, yeah. up with something that was going to work is just tremendous. But like, yeah, you're asking like this is New York City. It's an unbelievably densely populated area, and we're talking about nuclear weapons basically each one of yeah. these guys has an unregulated nuclear reactor on their back accelerator and you're simultaneously <laughs> building experimental photon grenades like yeah i don't even understand how that would work you're gonna blow out a spherical pattern of photons that it's gonna trap a ghost somehow i don't even understand but yeah i don't it, know it's if you play the video game, it's it's a little confounding because you you get a better sense of how they're wrangling the ghosts. But the thing that like bothers me is how far of a range do these proton blasts actually have? Because mm-hmm. in the in the movie, I only saw them go so far as like maybe a hundred yards blasting the uh, uh, the Stay Puft Marshmallow right, Man. Down but from in the roof. Uh-huh. yeah, but in the in in the video game, uh, the the on PS3, uh, it's actually okay. And for minefielders, if you haven't played it. Uh, the Ghostbusters video game is actually considered part three because everyone came back. Literally, everyone came back for this uh, f- for for the video game, and uh, it, it's a great storyline. But you're basically a new recruit, and they're training you. And when you're blasting at a ghost, I mean, the the, the proton steam just burns through the wall. I mean, it's 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 completely a destructive force. But once you get and you'll feel it in the vibrations in the uh, in the controller. Once you have hurt. Or, or tired out the ghost enough, that's when their energy depletes enough for the uh, neutron stream to wrap around them, mm. which is the, the goal of it. And then you open the trap, but uh, the equipment didn't work this time. There, we, we if, if you're able to uh, look as hard, squint your eyes as hard as you can, you get to see the the dials and the uh, what do you call them? The, the labels next to each button. It's, oh, it's, you, sorry, are you talking about on the uh, containment unit? On the containment unit, yeah, you're, you're correct. And then it didn't, it made it, it made, even even if even if you didn't realize things were going to go wrong, you heard the, ch- the, the sound effect, the chug there, like that's not the sound that's supposed to make. And then you flip the, you flip the page and is that how it's supposed to sound? I don't know. But even as, a, a, even as you're reading a, a comic book, you know, if you've seen the movie, that's not the sound it's supposed to make, and then boom, we've got a problem. That and then the, like the, the the subtleties, like the the PKE meter, immediately boom, <laughs> boom, and uh, then it's time to go wrangle this this the Slimer who immediately finds a what is it called a uh, oh, 
we went and he, oh, the, yeah, the, like the photon grenade or whatever. Prototype, Prototype photon, photon grenade. grenade. Let me ask yeah. you this. When Tell you me. when you read this uh, last week and you, you, you brought up two fascinating aspects of this. You said, oh, there's the reason why Slimer escaped, was, was out. And I, I was like, I, I went back and I read, the, or I read this and then I went back and thought about that. And I was like, were you referring to Slimer's appearance in Ghostbusters 2? Or you were talking about this issue, I know, but of course Slimer gets out when the containment unit is breached and we see that scene where he's eating all of those hot dogs out of the vendor. And yeah. then, but we see him out uh, having an interaction with Lewis Tully in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, with the, the bus. Also, like in the montage when they're going, when the ghost. Oh, yeah, when he jumps around. over the, the couch. Yeah. yeah. And like, so there's the cute aspect because by that point, of course, the real Ghostbusters had been on TV and, go, and Slimer was a character and a kind of a kind of a mascot, kind of a pet, kind of a buddy and a nuisance. But like. So I kept thinking to myself, is well, I want to know how he got out. I, my, my, my position, I guess, is that they never were they never caught up to him after uh, after Ghostbusters happened, and when they were Ghostbusting their, again five years later, they their HQ was familiar to him, which is yeah. the point they brought up. Interesting. Okay, I wonder about that, but like. So there was that, and then you also made the point that, you know, hey, here's the reason why we never go ghostbusting alone. So please yes. tell us about that. Okay, so Slimer gets out. He's got this uh, prototype, prototype proton grenade, and it's just Ray and Egon going after him. And uh, Ray's like, I'll be right back, and leaves Egon alone. Egon gets lucky. Mm -hmm. uh, the, 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 the grenade was a dud. Uh, the 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 monster i mean like and one of like, you'll get to this in a bit the, the, they didn't make him cutesy in this and yeah, uh he's not cutesy. and yeah he immediately pulls out his blaster uh wrangles slimer and uh you know realizes they they say yeah that we, we no no solo missions we can't do this alone you, n not again uh it's cuz you can't I mean, you can, I mean, like, imagine, like, if you're a police officer and you pull over a car and, like, how they say on TV, like, you never know what you're going to pull over. My uncle was murdered uh, by, uh, when he was a state trooper in New Mexico, by some asshole that he just randomly pulled over, shot him with a 9 millimeter, turned him into Swiss cheese inside. Um, but that's a human being. Uh, something on the spectral level, uh, we, we got to be a team on this one. And um, I, I really love that aspect of it. The fact that the, the 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 person that was truly humbled in all of any of this was Egon. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that stood out to me was I can imagine the guys writing this were thinking how, because remember it was the real Ghostbusters and they said it it was called the real Ghostbusters the cartoon because they were the real Ghostbusters that the movie was based off of, yeah. and. Then it stopped being the real Ghostbusters after X amount of episodes and became Slimer in the real Ghostbusters. And then it just became Slimer. And it was all about Slimer. Like, even the intro credits were all about him. He was all, he was all uh, uh, cutesy. I think what, Frank Welker did the voice or something like that, I think. Uh, and it, it, it got more – and then it just ended up just being – the main character just being Peter and – and Slimer like Shaggy and Scooby-Doo. And in this, they turned Slimer into the scary thing he actually was. 
I didn't find him like terrifying like Darth Vader in the dark, but it's definitely something <laughs> I wouldn't approach. Um, For great real, job, yeah. guys. Something about the, the way that something about the teeth, the eyes, and the, the guns eyes being present. Yeah. There's a really good good depiction of Slimer as a as a gnarly creature. How did you feel about the pop at the end, the surprise? Well, clearly, I, I think that the year one concept, they could either go the distance with that. They could do a year's worth like like they're doing with Star Trek year five. They could be like, hey, let's run this for 12 issues and, and do what we can do with it. Or let's, uh, um, or maybe year one is just like the uh, the additive title to the relaunch on the new numbering system or something like that. But one way or another, I mean, I would really, really hope that IDW has the wherewithal to run this book in accordance with the Ghostbusters Afterlife movie coming up. I'm so glad you said that. That was next, literally the next thing I wanted to bring up. Gotta be tie it all together. I just rewatched that trailer the other day. And I did too, man. There's so much I, so much to like about it, and so much to be like, man, this is kind of, kind of going to be completely obvious. I'm, I am burned out on the idea that we're going to relaunch something, and it's going to be like quit relaunching something. Can't we right. just sequel it? And I know that Afterlife is technically a sequel. But I need a sequel that's a real sequel and not just like, hey, blah, 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 here's all new characters and they don't get their shit together until the end of the story. We've already seen that because unfortunately Ghostbusters 2 is definitely a rehash of the same plot as Ghostbusters. So I don't want a third Ghostbusters just like Jurassic Park. We all freaking know what's going to happen. We've seen it five times. Like... Just give me more ghost busting without worrying about like, you know, oh, yeah, I know that you guys are frauds. You guys are not real, blah, 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 blah. So hopefully the comic is is a really good way to fill in the gaps. And uh, I was going to mention something else for all of our Ghostbusters fans out there before we got to we got to press on. But uh, if you ever played the Star Wars RPG by West End Games, it's the old D6 system, brilliant, easy game. West End also had the license for for Ghostbusters, and they made it in the idea of Ghostbusters Incorporated. Uh, the material is out there. It's all been scanned. It's online. You, I don't know if you can find copies of this on eBay necessarily, or maybe you could find it at like a half-priced books. But um, it's available for download on PDF, and uh, is- it's probably worth printing out and giving it a shot. <laughs> I'm is not that, posting any links, but look is, for it. <laughs> that's what I asked for the other day. <laughs> is is that the Star Trek PC game where you immediately land and then you can pull a phaser out on everyone and everyone's like, "What the hell are you doing, Jim?" <laughs> uh, no, no, I'm talking about Star Wars. Star oh, Wars, Star Wars, Star, Star, okay, West cool. End Star Wars. Uh, um, man, so many reference books, so many modules, so many. Uh, even George Lucas was so impressed with what they did with his material that he referred to it as a way for new Star Wars writers to, uh, uh, or new Star Wars creators to develop their materials. The the last thing I want to mention about Ghostbusters is Ghostbusters Afterlife is uh, directed by Jason Reitman, uh, son of oh, Ivan lovely. Reitman. 
who, if a lot of people don't know this, but uh, Jason Reitman is that little shit from the beginning of part two. He says, you know, yeah. my father says you guys are full of crap. <laughs> like, it, I it, hope it's, as a grown so up, he has those awesome, gigantic teeth that his dad yeah. has. It's just an endearing, yeah. what a, what a, oh man. You just see those B- BTS sequences and featurettes on things and you just see Ivan Reitman looking like he's just, Enjoying the hell out of his life every day that he was directing. You just Hit looks with, like that. <laughs> Hit me with some Doctor Strange, man, because I, I, oh, uh, I watched yeah. Doctor Strange last night to go to bed. Dude, oh, God, what an, I love that movie. I remember going, oh, man, I went to see that. I was so looking forward to it. I could not believe that we were getting a Doctor Strange movie and we were going to get that level of quality. And uh, that uh, I couldn't believe that that Christine Palmer was in it. And she was being played by Rachel McAdams. Oh, my gosh. Rachel McAdams, who I did not get to dance with at that rap party. But while she was dancing, she, like, turned around and her hair whacked me in the face. And I was like, what did it I'll smell take like? it. I'll take it. Smell, what did it smell like? Smells good. <laughs> All right. Yeah. New Doctor Strange issue number five. This is Doctor Strange with the Surgeon Supreme title uh written by mark wade and keeve walter story t- uh, oh yes their character uh, qualified as storytellers uh java tartaglia as colorist vc's cory pettit letterer uh and well let's see a bunch of other stuff that's no, i'm not going into uh I, this is the thing it's been so long since the doctor strange came out i didn't remember what the heck was going on but i got into this immediately and was like just boom it's dr strange i know enough about dr strange to feel cozy with the premise and it just doesn't even matter what's been going on and because in a second i had it all figured it out uh he's he's in nidavlier the one of the asgardian realms of the dwarves if I'm not mistaken. and uh he has these two creepy nightmarish goons that both have ham like weapons that are considerably hammers and they're enchanted and he feels like some of this material may have been stolen from his uh magic forge that he developed in the previous um creative team's run and okay. uh and I really appreciate that it feels like we're listening to we're paying attention to previous works we're listening to what other writers developed that were a good idea and we're holding on to it and we're building on that that's what i want out of sequels i don't want relaunches so uh and it's awesome because dr strange is realizing of course okay well if that's where it came from or this is what they're supposed to do then there's an obvious counter thing and that's the beauty of it is that even though so many uh characterizations of the Doctor Strange character have shown him to be a little bit selfish or a little bit Tony Stark or whatever. He's freaking smart. And he's just like, well, you know, there's a way to counteract everything. So he switches it on him. He basically does a counterspell. I was like, that's legit. But the way the, huh? the way the way that in the movie when him and Baron Mordo, M- Mordo are arguing and he's like, you don't have any imagination. You don't have any spine. Um, mm-hmm. When he has that imagination, that is that smart. I mean, like, to, like yeah, you can dream about uh, fairy tales and butterflies or whatever all day long. But when you're smart enough to use your imagination and have it your plan executed – 
to fruition, boom, immediately. Because you, you, you see the cogs in the machine, you're a watchmaker. I love that about Strange Man. That's a good analogy. I really like that. When you are... When you are so magical that you're relying only on the magic, that's problematic. That's your weak point. But Doctor Strange is a guy who was practical. He was ultra smart and ultra confident. And he had... You pull one... Ta it's a three-legged table. And you pull one of those legs off and the table collapses. He found a way to put a new leg in its stead, and that was relying on magic. And right. It, so that's also the beauty of it. If you go back to Doctor Strange, The Oath, one of my okay. favorite p points of that is that Doctor Strange is not... At one point, he can't be magical. So he fights with Kung Fu because Wong taught him Kung Fu. And I'm like, of course, man! That's brilliant! Even that's like the best storytelling that you can do with him uh, is to just say that there's he's always got something up his sleeve because he's never he's never just a nickel's worth he's always a dime and, right uh, so we get into we, I love that we we go farther with at least they're sticking with the surgeon supreme thing whenever whenever they're like okay we've spent too much time being a surgeon we're going to go into the sorcery whenever we spent too much time in the sorcery we go into the surgery so it's this flip-flop he goes back to the uh hospital and uh uh dr oh gosh i'm sorry guys dr druid is uh is there and th he's like it's this creepy thing to strange to have dr druid seemingly there being a benevolent feature like and to me, I feel also as a reader that it's totally unsettling because they have been consistent about his presence just showing up and being like, "Oh, hey, does anybody need help? I can help. I'm you know whatever. I'm Doctor Druid. I can help." And it's like, right? I don't know. Like, because Doctor Strange has not come quite out with it, other than the fact that Druid was dead until recently. That like, why it's this like is unsettling. It's like when John Constantine shows up out of nowhere and like, hey, I can help. Like, uh, we're not sure if we want your help, dude. Exactly. <laughs> you bring with you a lot of problems. You bring with you a <laughs> yeah. lot of things that we can't. It's not in our wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, so you got. I, I like that idea. And thank you, um, uh, Brian Michael Bendis, for making that point that it could be something that was, was like, this is not something I should be handling. I'm going to hire someone else to do that. I've done that at work a million times. Uh, they did a they did a obvious little tie-in to the uh, the new uh, Strange Academy series. Strange and Doctor Druid got, like somehow manifest themselves all the way to New Orleans, uh, and they encounter a, like a troll who they had this. They're like, I love this. This like is a very Harry Potter thing. They make magic wands. It's like, oh my god, how cool is that? Like, we were just talking, you and I, about the cosmic thing. The cosmic thing needs to stay cosmic. And the earth thing needs to stay earthen. And like, right. Doctor Strange ties between both of these places because you never want too much of one thing. But I want Agreed. to explore all of these ridiculous magical zones. And like, here are these weird trolls who make magic wands and they're like, yeah, we don't have to make a million magic wands. We just sell the best wands for whatever. Uh, 
a few at a time and make a ridiculous amount. And then, but there's this whole criminal underworld dealing with that. So she's been out of shape, righteously so, because her husband was just murdered by somebody. And she heard righteously Dr. so. I love it. Yeah, she heard Doctor Strange's name in conversation from the bad guys. So Strange and Druid are like, okay, we can help out with this a bit because we know that in addition to them ripping you off, they also ripped off some of the artifacts of Doctor Strange. And uh, so this is how we get there. Strange and Doctor Druid are just way too powerful for this guy, and they take him out of the equation really, really quick and then assume his identity. So then they're like, okay, hey, we're going to go to this awesome uh, other world. Let me show you this, this picture here. Do you see that? It oh, makes me it. think of uh, it's like this crazy pillar, the city on top of a pillar, uh, kind of like that wacky place. Like uh, what is it, Jeddah in uh, Rogue One? Was that the name of it? I don't, I don't remember. Oh yeah, just like having a big city on top of a, on top of a like sheer cliffs is just super cool imagery. It's a little overdone, but for some reason this looked really, really good. So there's so the 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 title of this issue is the Bizarre Bazaar. And so they go in, they're disguised, and who should be running this auction of magical (laughs) weapons but Madame Mask? Oh, cool. And, like, this, then, I'm I'm gonna do the spoiler, guys, because I've already talked about what it is that makes Doctor Strange so special. When he's written well, he's a dime, he's not a nickel's worth of tricks. He... I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to say, I'm not going to blow it for you, but that dime is well presented here at the end of this issue, detailing why I think that. So the payoff happens twice in this issue at the beginning and at the end. And uh, they're in. I've said there's something amazing without spoiling it. I dig this. And, and it, this, this, like, Okay, cool. Like it's 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 a cool moment, but it's also still a cliffhanger ending. And even if I wasn't reading this consistently, I'd be like, I gotta check this out. I'm I need a cliffhanger guys, ending in th- comics like this, huh? I need a cliffhanger. I need a cliffhanger yeah. in comics like this. I'm gonna say that even if you haven't read any of the recent preceding Doctor Strange books, if you want a good jumping off point, I would pick up this issue. And uh, I would look forward to the next issue, especially since it's freaking Madame Mask showing yeah. up. She's not just a weapon. She's Count Nefaria's daughter. Do you know who Count Nefaria is? Like, he's one of the, the most low-key, omega-level bad guys in the Marvel Universe. He's at least as powerful as, like, Doctor Doom, the Kingpin. He's what about kind Magneto? Of, huh? Is he as powerful as Magneto? Definitely. He's more powerful than Magneto. He is an evil version of Superman. He's impervious. He's got eye lasers. He can fly. Then he has, like, the entire, like, the Lex Luthor man, like, mindset. And yeah. then, what's more, he's also the head of the East Coast Magia. So when you think about how the Kingpin is the kingpin of crime in New York, he's still part of the Magia. The organized crime up and down the entire eastern seaboard and worldwide. And Nefaria at some point had been... He has defeated Thor in the path, past. Defeated him. And, like, he knows it. And he doesn't show up having to deploy all of this ridiculous power he has. 
because he can rely on his stupefying wealth and underworld connections. You may never see the guy. That's how powerful he is. He can pull the strings from beyond. And his daughter, Whitney Frost, is Madame Mask, who is a weapons dealer and uh, a, a supervillain in her own right, even though she doesn't really have any superpowers near that I know. Right. But for real, if you, uh, it's awesome for her to show up in this. It's uh, I'd go back and say the Bendis Maleev uh, Iron or I'm sorry, Moon Knight from a few years ago. Very well detailed on Madame Mask and uh, Count Nefaria. And I'm going to say, like, guys, Wikipedia, who Count Nefaria is. Fascinating character. Avengers, X-Men villain. The list goes on and on. This was a great book. Uh, like I say, good jumping off point if you haven't been reading it. And I know we've been, like, excited about Doctor Strange for a long time. What have you right. got, buddy? Hit me with some, some of that Joshua I'm- Michael pizzazz. I appreciate that, brother. I appreciate that. I've got Nailbiter Returns Chapter 2, Story and Art by Joshua Williamson and Mike Henderson, colors by Adam Gazowski, letters and design by John Hill, and edits by Rebecca Taylor. So we find ourselves in the situation where last issue we find out that the Nailbiter is still alive. Uh, serial killer uh, came from a city called uh, Buckeye or Buckaroo, uh, Kansas. And uh, basically all the best serial killers you know have come from this town. And someone, some nefarious entity, is plucking people's eyeballs out for them to see the truth in the background and orchestrating a a melee of serial killers that we thought were dead, like the blonde. um, None of them are real-life serial killers. uh, I I didn't even get really the sense that any of them were really based on anyone that was that you could pluck out of the pages of modern uh, true crime. Mm. Uh, But something is starting up again, and the detective that solved everything from the original Nailbiter series, is uh, he's on the case. And uh, we start out with a guy comes home, he proposes to his wife, and two of the biggest serial killers you could possibly imagine are waiting for them while he's on one knee proposing. And we hear screams, we hear shouting, and then we get to Nailbiter in uh, the isolation chamber that the detective keeps him in because he's, for some reason, every time he kept trying to get Nailbiter locked up because he was actually not really acquitted of his crimes, but everything he gave up, the information in regards to getting let loose uh, in the original series, he was basically a free man. And this guy doesn't want him to be a free man. And Nailbiter also doesn't really want to be a free man either, but he's going crazy in self-isolation uh, in this in this chamber. And he gets to meet his daughter uh, for the first time. She thought he was dead. And uh, we flash forward to the detective showing up to the scene of that couple that was supposedly brutally murdered by these two, uh, these two uh, badass killers, Crossbones, the Crossbones killer and the What the Fuck killer, the WTF killer. And we get this amazing uh, three, so four, like three character qu- from the Tick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is amazing three quarters uh, splash scene where the detectives and the CSI are on the scene, and these guys are dead. Uh, <laughs> Crossbones killer has a nail, has a uh, a, uh, a drill bit stuck in his head from a drill, and uh, the uh, the WTF killer has been dismantled. And the the couple actually fought back. We're great. Uh, Nailbiter's daughter's in the in the in the car. 
he won't let her leave, and uh, they find out that, well, this couple is not just a regular-ass couple. This is one of those fun horror twists that you didn't see coming, because you weren't expecting it, you weren't looking for it, you were just having fun watching this fast-paced comic go by. The artwork, uh, I'd say it was a good 8 out of 10, uh, well, maybe like 6 if McFarlane's a 10. Um <laughs> These guys are uh, the assholes that you know that worship serial killers. I have a vast knowledge of serial killers, not because I like them, want to be their friends. Um, trust me, I, I, it's, I acknowledge the victims. It's not something that I think is cool in any way, but I'm fascinated with American true crime. Well, just true crime in general. And these are the ones that took it a little bit too far. And I think that's the social commentary in this one is they took it a little bit too far, and not only do they worship the nail-biter, but Detective realizes, uh, where did that couple go? And they're in semi-costume and kidnap the girl, and we take off. It, this is a fun-ass comic. Uh, if you're listening to us talk, you probably already read it, because you're not they're, you're not going to accidentally read Nail-Biter. <laughs> you're not going to be like, oh, what is... What is this whimsical tale? I'll pick up issue two. No, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You held back on spoilers for Doctor Strange. If you read this, uh, the the only thing I liked was, well, I liked all of it, but in terms of the the meat and potatoes was the, the little bit of the spin, the little bit of the twist, like not like, oh, no, they were the killers the whole time. No, these guys are just serial killer worshiping assholes. And I can't wait to see them get what they deserve because there's a bigger story here that we're building on because uh, the extra serial killers are getting offed. Like, that's how issue one started off was uh, two of the bigger, like, more well-known guys that people thought were dead uh, are found on scene, head chopped off. And it's a good horror comic. It's not a – it's not like a uh, Crossed, if you guys ever read Crossed. It's not like that. It's not like Walking Dead. Uh, it's it's more set in real life, but with, with a tiny tinge of extra supernatural to it. With that's not too far fetched. But uh, that's what I got for Nail Butter. Um, it's kind of like a I Stephen flip- King light, huh? No, not Stephen King. Stephen King is a little bit more, way more intense. This is this is a quick read. It's a fun read. Mm. It's a fun read, and if you guys didn't get... This is one of those image comics that if you didn't get the first issue when it came out, you ain't getting it. Yeah, happens a lot. <laughs> Which reminds me, the the very last page, uh, before we close the uh, the book, uh, we've got new issue of Chew's, Chew coming out uh, by John Lehman and uh, Dan uh, Boltwood. Um, the original artist Rob, Rob Gilroy does uh, it, it does hint he's going to be doing some extra bits of art for it, like just chiming in every now and then. But this one isn't spelled C H E W. This is C H U. It looks like it's going to be based off of the original character Tony's daughter. Uh, she looks a little more grown up on the cover, but um, we'll we'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Might be the daughter. I may be thinking completely different. But that's what I got for Nailbiter, brother. Mm. Hit me hit me with that uh, Empire FF, man. Dude, okay, yeah. The last issue was, uh, or the other issue, the Avengers Empire, was, uh, we did that one last week. And I was I was just kind of like, okay, I feel like I know what I can expect out of what we're dealing with here. But um, this was a bit different, for real. Uh, this is Dan Slott 
Artist R.B. Silva and Sean Izaxe. Uh, color artist Marte Garcia and Mauricio, Marcio Minez. Uh, letterer G- VCs Joe Caramagna. Um, and then a variety of different covers if you're into that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> if we... <laughs> that'll be... <laughs> If like like it's a swingers thing. party or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think uh, I think I just found the phrase that minefields. If you're into that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I've got all five varying issues. I had a, I had a buddy I used to work with that I worked with on August Osage County, and he would find a way to insert that into conversation all the time. Oh man, I love <laughs> sausage pizza. Yeah, if you're into that kind of thing, I don't know. It really worked. Um. Okay, this automa- this automatically interested me on page one after the cover page because we have a new character, at least oh, I beautiful. think she's new, that I'm not familiar with, whether she's new or not. Hand me the name. Uh, the Profiteer. Uh, sounds like a shitty Spider-Man villain. All right, hold up, hold up. When you have a character like this, who is vaguely alien and over-the-top in dress, who starts automatically going on about uh, her casino establishment in space and that she is pushing a war that everyone has been aware of forever and ever as though it is entertainment. She's She's obviously from Mojo World. (laughs) <laughs> oh god hey good direction but no she is in fact brother or the sister of the grandmaster oh shit one of the one of the seven or the six i don't even know what it comes down to that's an interesting way to put it because i don't know if that's one of the things but she is one of the universe's like immortal assholes that you know one of these self-centered pricks the grandmaster the game master uh the collector the collector here you have it. It's like, uh, you know, this is she's another one of these people that think like it doesn't matter what I'm doing because I am serving this purpose somehow, and she's obsessed with her purpose. Her purpose is to gain wealth one way or the other, and she has been profiting off of the Cree Scroll War for eons. <laughs> but and Selling this I appreciate sides. the FF. Uh, in in like, it, uh, uh, well, you know how you know how in the past you and I have talked about how they'll they'll put it in here like oh way back in FF Annual number eighteen or something like that, like yeah I love that I want that that makes me want to go buy a trade paperback that makes me want to go buy single issue uh, back issue books at my comic local like that's what I want so I love it when they do that and they do that in here. And that is part of the entire gag. She is running a gladiatorial, gladiatorial fight between a Cree and a Skrull who were born and bred to fight this fight over and over and over again. And they both have the entire genetic history of their respective species printed into their brains so they are completely aware of the pain and glory awesome. of every win and loss that they have ever experienced culturally against each other and it's like you know this is you want something new 
Well, here you go. Like, you've never seen anybody do anything like this in comics. That's what before. I always ask for. The FF are traveling through space, and they are, on, in, a, in a matter of speaking, out of gas. They don't know what they're going to do. Huh? Which ones are they? Do they have uh, Franklin and the daughter with them? Yeah, they do. Franklin and Valeria. Uh, it's yeah. it's the FF as you would want to see it, plus Franklin and Valeria. And uh, <laughs> they make Johnny do the Fantastic Four symbol to this weird <laughs> space sailboat. And uh, they get a, a guy that looks very much like um, Davy Jones from Pirates of the Caribbean's Dead Man's Chest to give them a ride... Only if they can, because the because the cosmic economy has collapsed and everyone's on the barter system now, and Shit. this completely weirds out Reed Richards. He just keeps mulling it over. He's like, "Boy, the implications are terrible." Blah blah blah, and he just keeps saying stuff like that. Everybody else is having a forefront conversation, and then him in the background would just be like. Galaxy wide, the credits, like the credits, like the entire like galactic stock exchange, and you just see him like off in his own head in the background, pondering this situation. Simultaneously, Franklin is saying, "We can get if we, if you can get us someplace where we can get fueled up and make sure we have this component, then uh, my buddy here, the thing, will fight." And they're like, "Yeah, we know who the thing is. Like, you're awesome. We're well aware of the FF. You've saved the galaxy a couple of times. The thing, a couple wow. of times. So they go to this cosmic uh, casino, and it's it's frustrating to me because. Ben Grimm is not going like, oh, yeah, I'll crush him. I can beat anybody. It's no problem. I've always, I was in Universal or what was it like, uh, Universal Scale Wrestling or whatever. I can't remember <laughs> what it was exactly. But he was in that or unlimited, unlimited class wrestling or unlimited league or something like that way back. And it was just like the, the thing versus anybody they could throw at him. And uh, I was like, come on, man. Why are you like shying away from this opportunity to fight, make some money, and get home. Like, you know you've done this before, but and, like, Franklin is really pushing it. Like, he's his new manager. Then, the, the you know, Franklin and, and Valeria are told, stay with the ship. We don't have anything if we don't have the ship. you got to protect it. And they're like, you don't want no mega-level intellect going into the casino and just mm -hmm. winning the place. And like yeah. using that, you're gonna make Ben go fight in a gladiatory match or a gladiator, gladiator match. This whole, I was like, oh my god, that's exactly right. Like Valeria should just do it. They trick this guy, get past the guards because they're kids going into a of a course casino, they yeah, and they're losing and losing and losing. And then Reed Richards, on the other hand, is like, I'm just gonna go poke around and figure out what's going on. And they're like. Dude, you know they're going to be watching you. And he's like, that's why I'm going to do it in the most transparent fashion possible. I'm not going to try to hide anything. I'm just going to go out there and figure things out. And they're like, okay, hey, that's not a bad plot. Just go be obvious for once. And, right? like, meanwhile, uh, 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 Johnny Storm and the Thing are, are out there. And they're like, okay, you know how we deal with this? We ended the Kree Scroll War. By taking two champions, one from the Kree and one from the Skrull, and having them duke it out on the blue area of the moon, and 
we made them have to team up to fight the Fantastic Four. And right. then they teamed up virtually forevermore, and they were recently killed on a secret mission together, which is huge. And like, oh my god, you know what, let's just recreate this situation, and maybe these two uh, gladiators don't have to fight anymore. Well, the thing doesn't want to do it, and then he realizes that the two gladiators are in fact children. Oh, shit. And he just jumps in head first, and he's getting his butt kicked by both of them. And the torch has to get involved also, and it rehashes that situation. The Kree and the Skrull have to fight together versus these, these two elements of the FF. Meanwhile, Valeria is losing her shirt, not literally, to the casino, but then the invisible woman figures it out. And she shows up and she starts tweaking all of the gambling <laughs> aspects so that they win and they own the place by the end. That's awesome. And then the, then the, uh, the, the profiteer, she's fighting with uh, Reed Richards and he's not really winning. And uh, she realizes she got hit in the place that most hurts in her pocketbook. She doesn't own yeah. the place anymore. She doesn't own anything anymore. And they're like, look, we'll sell the place back to you for this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, by the end of this, I was like, this is a perfect Fantastic Four issue. Agreed. This is maybe one of the best Fantastic Four. Everybody no, that's awesome. does their thing. That's what, it, that's what it's all about, baby. In I mean, one issue. In you, one issue. Exactly. When you, you could read ten FF issues... And, like, one character could be underutilized in every one of them. Or in three consecutive issues. Or somebody just wants to write a ton about Ben Grimm. And Johnny can just go tune up his hot rod for three issues or something. It's just like, dude, this was it. When you are overstuffed with good characters and you can do it, it is amazing. So I completely applaud Dan Slott. Uh... And his entire writing team, his entire creative team on this. Me, by the way, the artwork is really juicy. It's Every gorgeous. character is individually specific unto their personal appearance. Uh, the, the, oh my god, it's so colorful and poppy. Just like I was saying, uh, actually, about the uh, Avengers uh, Empire issue zero. Um and I gotta say, like, I mean, like, the, like, just this is this is utilizing computer techniques at its best. The color gradients, the like, uh, overblown light bursts and stuff like that, ref like light pops off of people's faces, directed lighting. This just freaking. This is great looking stuff. If you don't get the other one, if you don't get the Avengers issue, at least like get this one. This one was right. really cool. And uh, this bodes well for a cross-title promotional event, for the summer event. like Especially having some fun right at the beginning, you know? I know. Like, I really, I'm, I'm looking forward to, if the FF and the Avengers have to fight for a minute and then eventually get the stuff sorted out, I get it. If the FF shows up and is like, hey, no, blah, 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 we're coming in and we got this thing chasing us and... They're like, okay, well, what have you been doing? Blah, 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 blah. And Valeria's like, oh, yeah, we just bought this place and then we sold it back to them and we made a profit and whatever. Like, man, I really, really want Franklin and Valeria to be doing cool shit every time they show up now. And 
because they have a skill set that is eh, it's close, but it's it's yeah, its own thing. Like, don't forget that Franklin's an omega level mutant. Yeah, for real, dude. I mean, like, it's unquantifiable what he's capable of doing. And I think the only time we've ever got really, truly close to perceiving it was uh, the, the history of the Marvel Universe that we just finished reading a few months ago with him oh, so and good. Galactus. And just, oh, man, I want to see that level. I want to see that relationship for real. I want to see Franklin as Galactus Herald. That's a book right there. Especially given like the the like it's it's like a friendship, it's like a a, com- a camaraderie, it's like a uh, a compassionate relationship. They're crying over one another by the end of that thing, you know. And it's just like, man, I I just yeah, I want to see what what Franklin Richards is going to become. Maybe he is a universal constant. Anyway, I don't know, well, guys. It's freaking great. I totally love it. Check this one out. Before we get too far, i got to hit the head. Right on. We're going to keep it running. And keep it we'll, running. Uh... All right, we're back from taking a whiz. Now for the meat and potatoes. <laughs> Negan lives. <laughs> Skybound. Image Comics. Skybound, 2010 to 2020. Happy 10th, guys. Uh, Image Comics, number one. Five fucking dollars for this motherfucker. <laughs> Is that what it cost? Yeah. Oh, my. Five... Five dollars for one of those beautiful covers that the second you touch it, there's a fingerprint. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm actually holding it with the plastic wrap like a oh, douche. I, I decided not to because um, this comic is – I really think that they're going to try to launch a Walking Dead Negan. I think they're going to do a series of Negan. They have to. I mean that's how it ended. But even then, uh, the, the, the major difference between this one and The Walking Dead, there's not – Five walking to number one. There's not five thousand issues of this in existence. There's probably a hundred thousand. That's a good point. Yeah, the reason why when I yeah when I sold my Walking Dead books several years ago, uh, the only one I didn't have a first print on was an issue number two, and that was because when I was working at a comic book store and I picked it up just because it was there, and I liked issue number one that much. Some dude came in and was like, oh, yeah, hey, I was really hoping I could get a Walking Dead number two. And, I, and it, I, I, he was a regular. I don't remember who it was, but I gave it to him. I said, no, I got one. I got it. And I gave it to him. And then a second print came out and I picked that one up eventually. Anyway, whatever. The paper smells delicious, though. Paper smells kosher. It smells delicious. That does smell. Oh, yeah. And now I got a, a nose oil smudge. Give me the breakdown of this, brother. Uh, let me give the credits, and then you give me the breakdown, and then we'll, like, the meat and potatoes here is because I've been slaving all week over this comic book about how I would have written it or how it should have been done or if I'm happy with what happened. Um, Robert Kirkman, writer, Charlie Adler, penciler, inker, cover. No extra dude doing washes. I like that. Uh, Cliff Rathburn, Grey Tones, Russ Wooten, Letterer, uh, Dave McKaig, Cover Colors, Sean Makowitz, Editor, and created by Robert Kirkman. So we get the, – the, the impression I got when I first read this was did you pick up those – I don't think you did. Uh, about three years ago they started doing – maybe four years ago they started doing this uh, image 
magazine called Image Plus. I've got some of those, yeah. All right, so within those, they had uh, a, a few one-shot Walking Dead's, like three, four pages. And uh, I remember the the one that stood out to me was it was it entirely about Negan? I've got them all in I've got them all on my shelf, but it was like where it started at where the the way they did the Michonne story, the Michonne origin when they did it within the issues of Playboy. Um, issue of playboy and then within these pages you got four or five six pages of uh negan being the shitty gym coach screwing around on his wife um when she died became a zombie when he got lucille when the initial people that he uh first encountered that's the nut that's the that's the vibe i got from this like we, we're not supposed to be seeing it mm. and uh, i i like that sort of bit Give us the breakdown on the story, brother. Uh, this is pretty simple. I mean, it makes me think of when... Uh, it makes me think of Dale and the cannibals or Sasha's brother, whatever his name was, and the cannibals in the TV series. Uh, it's just like, I mean, Negan is reticent over his past life. He's praying over a grave. It's the grave of his baseball bat. <laughs> way too clean, way too primped and polished, pretty little thing rolls up on him. And uh, consequently, her name is Lucy, uh, which stuns him. Guys, sorry about the uh, sorry about the technical difficulties on my end. I don't think it's my fault uh, because <laughs> I have noticed because I, I, I work on a Mac. I record on the Mac and GarageBand. I've noticed that it has wanted me to upgrade to this $200 son of a bitch. So around an hour and a half, it, 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 cut, it just all of a sudden freezes on me. I thought it was a couple of my hardware stuff. No. No, this is it, – it's got to be them being dickheads to make me fucking upgrade to this shit. Anyway – uh, last thing I heard you say was, consequently, her name is Lucy. Yeah, and she's she's basically kind of, you know, cozying up to Negan as much as she can. Uh, he seems well-stocked in this little house. Um, don't so forget, don't forget, don't forget that is a, that is a call to uh, the last issue of The Walking Dead that uh, Carl always goes and leaves supplies at Negan's house. He never sees him. But someone's taking the supplies. Uh, all right, all right, that's nice. Uh, so, yeah, pretty soon. It, I mean, it's completely obvious that this girl is just way too. She's clean. hungry. The hitchhiker scene. Yeah, basically. I mean, hot chick needs a ride. You pull over. Hey, I need a ride. And then three dudes jump out of the bushes to carjack your ass and kill you. Yeah, leave I mean, your ass Negan the side of the road. doesn't fall for this. He knows that's what's happening, and these guys have to come out. And uh, they've got him dead to rights, but it's Negan, you know? He's going to turn it around, and that's exactly what he does. And uh, my favorite part of it was that they're trying to make him dig his own grave, and because he's such a prick, you know, they can't control him. He's running his mouth like he does, and uh, the longer that, that goes on, the more advantage he's got. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, he... He wasn't the uh, leader of the sa- saviors, right? Yeah, it was the saviors. 
uh, he wasn't the leader for no damn good reason. Uh, he was he's a serious alpha, and he's yeah, scoping the, he's he's scoping this out, figuring shit out what he's gonna do, and realizes these guys are just some beta pussies, man. Like you got to have a girl do like no, well, not in a bad way. I'm not saying oh, yeah, they don't even way. treat her very well. No, they treat her like shit. They like they're just these guys that are like hey, let's get some hot piece of ass, distract this guy. But they picked the wrong motherfucker this time. Pretty much. I mean, Negan is... You know, there's there's got to be a top ten list of villains. And uh, he's definitely on there with Darth Vader and uh, Denzel Washington from Training Day. I mean... Yep. My man. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Amazing villains out there, for sure. Uh, Negan is definitely an amazing villain. And that's the thing. At, at a certain point... I, I got into reading the uh, some of the letter hacks at the end. I mean, if you've ever read The Walking Dead, you know that their letters section is called letter hacks. And um, going into the idea, you know, they were, you know, we thought, you know, well, is Negan dead? No, Negan's alive. We want it to be uh, possible that he's alive because in the real world, the villain doesn't always get gunned down by the hero or driven off a cliff or you know never saw him as a villain not it, once i mean anybody who's gonna kill glenn like that is a villain the thing is i don't, I don't see, know man i don't see the villain always losing i don't see the villain always being killed justifiably in the end sometimes well, the we villain were... gets to walk away we were connected to Glenn. Uh, in order to keep power over his men, one of those guys had to die. It's true, but I mean, yeah, I mean, still, he, there's a choice. We're going to get into the concept of good and evil. Negan is an evil person, period. I, don't, I completely disagree. <laughs> he's got, he's, I, he's, he's turned his back on, before, before there was a world without the rule of law. He was cheating on his wife, who he loved and who he had a very good, stable relationship with. Like, Correct. That is a choice. Still not evil. It's just, not that's a just a dick. That's a dick bag that's move. A dick but bag not evil. Move. I mean, not evil. Everything in our world is a choice. And Agreed. When you live in the world without rule of law, like, like I, I always appreciate like the postman. And even the Postman movie with Kevin Costner. You the, watched that movie? Of course you fucking did. A dozen times. And the villain in that movie is standing there saying, like, you know what I did before? I, I, I repaired copy machines. And yeah. now I run this gigantic, awesome army because I came up. Dude, that guy is nearly Negan, for real. Yeah, but... We're we're talking about post apocalyptic here. We're talking about kill or be killed. This isn't like whether or not you're uh, part of the KGB and working for a side that's winning. This is this is the line in the sand, no gray area. Us versus the zombies that will eat us. These rotting flesh bags, and he he figured out a way to get people together, and it was kill or be killed. Yeah, he wasn't the best person. Had concubines. Iron that guy's face. Uh, he was keeping the order. I'm not saying what he did was right, not in the least bit, but I don't see this guy as evil. Uh, Carl never would have been friends with this guy if he was evil. Hmm. He might have been the cool uncle, 
there, there could have been that sense where you want to keep make sure you're in the favor of your cool uncle. But I don't see this guy as evil. Uh, I, I never have. Uh, and, and I, it, I it's think not... that the difference between what's good and evil is in the world that you happen to be in. And agreed, agreed. You know, I, it's like when I, you know, the, even recently going out and being involved in in protests and not necessarily being a protester, but my end being looking out for the concept of civility. Right. Or like if you watch uh, watch or XR read Ridge. Cold Mountain, and you get that, okay. m- that moment in Cold Mountain, at least in the film, when Renee Zellweger is yelling, you know, there will be a reckoning. Yeah, you're in a world that's at war. You're in a country that's at war. And you've got your home guard who is abusing the people it's supposed to be looking after and protecting from invaders, but their abuse of power. It's like one day the war will be over. One day the zombie apocalypse will be over. Will there be anyone who will go back and look at war crimes? You know, World War II came to an end. Right. Were there war crimes? Yes. What, what, where do you stop? Where does it stop? Where, where does... Where, what? Who do you call evil? If we're going to firebomb Nuremberg and Tokyo and any other number of Japanese cities, we're going to drop two atomic bombs. But are we systematically destroying a culture like the, like, like the Japanese were trying to do and like the, like the Nazis were trying to do? Were we committing genocide? Maybe. I mean, Curtis LeMay. I'm going to bomb them back to the Stone Age. It's a it's a very it's a variable concept of good and evil. So I get where right. you're coming from, but I also feel like I'm saying just because he's evil, I don't have a problem with the fact that he is still the protagonist of his own story. Because the when you and I is. talked about this a lot of times a long time ago, it was the difference. Does Negan see himself as evil? Well, he feels guilt over how he treated his wife. He knows he's an asshole. He knows but he's he, an asshole. He, he knows he's, he's doing the wrong thing. He apologized into the air for having had a harem in this issue. Like, he knows that he has done things that are technically wrong. Because whether or not it's right or wrong by society's standards, he knows, well, I loved my wife and my wife would not have appreciated that. And that's mm-hmm. putting it lightly. So, right. you know, when you ask yourself the big questions about this character, I'm not saying I have a problem with... I'm not saying he's not a bad... I'm saying he's a bad guy. You're saying he's not a bad guy. I'm saying... He's I a, don't have a problem with him being a bad guy and still surviving and thriving in one way or another. Okay, okay. I don't uh, have a problem with that. I would much rather... I don't want to spoil things for you, but I wish that Star Trek Nemesis had turned out differently for Tom Hardy's character. I wish agreed. that uh, um, things had turned out differently for uh, any number of bad guys over the years. I I wish that Darth Vader had survived and tried very, very hard to change change his reality for the better in one way or another. Or at least just become a mentor for Luke. Okay. You know, there are things that bad guys can do for us. Like the entire TV series, The Blacklist, is exactly about that. 
a guy who is bad, who has done bad things, but has drawn a line as to, I would never do this, though. And I hate you for doing it, and I will get you for doing it has come to the good guys and it's just like the question I've asked myself because it's it's work that I've done and it's part of my part of the fiction that I've been writing I don't want to go so far as to completely throw it out there because I'd much rather leave it to uh, the possibility someone's going to read it and go this is what Colin was talking about all that time ago but uh, he's a he's a hedonist with a conscience yeah, he's a he, he's a hedonist with a conscience. Uh, obviously, he wishes he hadn't done some bad things, but he probably sure as hell had a lot of fun doing them. Um, good and evil is what it is. Now, don't forget that this is a Walking Dead comic book. Yeah, uh, it's been months since we've had the, since the abrupt ending to the Walking Dead. Uh, just in general, just came out of nowhere. It's over. Get the last issue. It's over. Uh, now we've got something possibly. On whether it's a six issue or a twelve issue, or we're going to start over, and we're going to follow Negan as the protagonist. Always remember, don't get too attached to anyone. Lucy may have had the tears in her eyes that she had fucked up, and and you know she was sorry that she was trucking with these these betas that are using her as bait and couldn't take one man. I mean, like they're 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 holding him down. And they're like he's a he's a freaking tank, man. Yeah, and. Uh, and uh, but then you get to that part uh, in regards to we're talking about evil. He's she's like you know what are you doing? I'm seeing this if I can cut this guy in half. <laughs> I know shovel. I love that part. He's got a shovel where he's supposed to be digging his own grave. He turns the tides, saves himself. Yep. Technically saves the girl, and he's trying to cut this guy in half. Not by like just uh, you yeah, know he's like, pushing. like hammering that shovel. He's just trying to push the shovel through this guy's spine. I don't think yeah. he succeeded. It was, yeah, that's that was pretty that, good. That was awesome, but it, it reminded me of like in in Hostel when people are just doing things to people just to see if they can do it, and uh, so that was like a, a like a thing that kind of ran up my spine. But at the same time, the way his conscience kicks in, she, he's like he's like pretty much like bitch. You you could be my daughter. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Like like what are you even doing with these assholes here? So you gonna kill me? He's like nah. And then, you know, we get to that big splash page at the end, and don't you want to see what happens next? We all do. They're, they're, that's, that's, the, that's the little subtle way of breaking uh, the fourth wall. Like, yeah, they're, he's talking to us. Yeah, yeah, of course we want to see what's going on next. But then again, don't forget it's a Walking Dead comic book. Don't get attached to Lucy because she could be dead in the first panel <laughs> in, the next, in the next issue. Uh, my question to you is, did you savor every moment of this? It took me 20 minutes to read this book. I don't think it took me that long, but uh, I, I really did like it for sure. I mean, I I'm gonna tell you all, I uh, I sold those comics. I sold my Walking Dead. That was at the height of its value, right? Um, and as was suggested by my retailers, and uh, I have not regretted it. But I am afraid if I read, I I did didn't stop picking up those issues from that point until the end and so I've got a couple of years of Walking Dead to read because I did not read them out of concern that I would feel like I screwed up like I didn't do the right thing yeah but the stupid well, thing is that there are so many iterations of that story if I want to read it from beginning to end at any given time not only do I have 
I was given all of those omnibus editions. They didn't even take that out of it. I am still getting my books on store credit for one third of what right. I got for those. Right. And I have no idea what they've made off of those issues because they immediately tried to turn them around online. And I'm like, well, it's let, all well okay. let's get let's get back to the book because yeah. I, I I'm, I'm torn about this. There's there's two parts of me that read this book. There was the comic book fervorous fan, and then there was the writer. The writer was what what. I don't. I want to know what Negan had planned to fuck these guys up because all of a sudden, boom, zombies out of nowhere. He didn't that, have that, any that, plan. I think he was trying to figure out a plan because you're, you're not digging your own grave trying to figure out a way to get out of it because that's a really fucked up situation to be in, and especially for Negan who has gotten out of everything. And we started out where he's, you know, why am I still alive? And mm-hmm. you know, he might have been comp- contemplating that. I don't think he was thinking of. Uh, that he was actually going to be put in that hole. Not to mention the, the suspense of whether or not if he's going to impale any of these guys on the broken shards of Lucille of what they find. And then just boom, zombies come out. Everybody. Oh, did you forget there's zombies? Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so there's that. Um, so I enjoyed it. I, I savored every moment I could. I, I love how Adler... I really feel like he threw some of the artwork back to like his original style. Like a little, it was totally. a little bit, yeah, a little bit grittier. And then, yeah, we get that really cleaned up Lucy girl. And uh, yeah, he's not that idiot. Like when you're screaming at a screen, like she's obviously one of them. Uh, if she hasn't eaten. How is she so showered and pretty with her, uh, you know, her, her leather, uggish book boots. Oh, I know. Uh, cleavage hair, perfectly quaffed. Um, she's got bracelets on. Uh, she's got this stupid fucking shoulder tattoo. Um, we're, we're yelling at the screen for that. But then I'm thinking how I loved hating him, the way I hate heels. Like, you know, I love to hate them, love to hate them, um, or hate to love them. Um, I was hoping that he was going to kill her. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted some grisly revenge to, for us to, to want to, want to hate this do guy. Anything bad enough. That's the whole thing. You take the bad guy, and you focus on them for a while, and then if they're supposed to have any redeeming quality, you have to have somebody who's doing something considerably worse later. I never saw her as the bad guy in this situation, because Negan is always I the it. bad guy. She's, but it was just, it, it was so obvious. It's just, it's that you Agreed. can take something, the whole premise of this issue, you can take something that is so obvious and make it refreshing and entertaining. It, it was refreshing That's and entertaining. what this was. I don't see anything uh, outside of that. It's not that this, I mean, this is, this is taking a formula and creating, creating a new Coke that doesn't suck shit. It's just, well, boom, hey, here's a better Coke than you've ever had. You knew it was going to be Coke. This is the <laughs> best Coke you're ever going to have. I wanted a reason to question him again. Because I've trusted him ever since Carl and him started their little late night forbidden talks. Uh, when Carl would, you know, sneak into the jail and they would have their talks. And then, uh, you know, I, I, that's when I really 
truly fell in love with the character of Negan as opposed to just the entity of him and, and what what he was up to. Because I love bad guys. But yeah. I wanted a reason to question him again right off the bat. That, that's, that's what I wanted. If I was going to write it in, in terms of like, yeah – uh, yeah, he he did cut that. He did try to cut that guy in half with a shovel, but why wouldn't uh, you? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't try to do that in that same yeah. situation. I'm like, dude, Where I've the... got you guys. I've got you guys beat so handily at this point. Dead bang. Know, where do you get off? Like, <laughs> even Negan in that moment had to be thinking to himself, "You fucking chumps." Show up here like this, you bunch of crumb bums, coming in crumb here, bums, exactly. you want to take my stuff. If you would have asked, maybe I would have helped you, yeah. but I would have ended up ruling you later, and that would have been okay. But you come but he in here like this, you're not hard enough for me. He didn't He didn't big league him like that, though. He, he no. didn't start, like, being like, you know who the fuck I am? He didn't do any of that shit. No. <laughs> He didn't do any of it. I love that he kept it to himself. I, I, I would have liked a little bit more internal well, dialogue. He's he's but... not he's not Hitler, you know. No, he is a no. deposed leader. Who he he's Napoleon on the island after the Napoleonic War with no with with no reason to go out and take over the world again. Agreed. Because when you Agreed. had that much power. And it's been taken from you, and they left you alone, and you're not Napoleon. Well, then, dude, chill, because that was probably exhausting. You want to <laughs> be the guy? You want to be up to your ass in Romulans for the rest of your life? Like, that's, no. that's, that's, that's my favorite new question. Like, do you want to be the guy that someone's coming to at all hours of the day to tell, oh, hey, there's a thing. Then figure it out. <laughs> oh, yeah. hey, there's a thing. What, you got to come to me? I'm the only guy who can answer? Well, it, we can figure it out. We just need you to know that it's happening. Well, great. I was trying to get some rest. Like, that's your life when yeah. you're Negan in charge of the saviors. Well, where do you want this to go? I th he needs it. I mean, dude, what's the best formula? <clears throat> it's it, Okay, it's like, it's like pitch black. It's like the Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. At the oh. end, like, what a great switch. At the end of the second movie, he suddenly owns the whole lot of them. <laughs> and of course, what's going to happen? You're constantly having to watch your back. Because yeah. someone wants to take your place. Well, it happens. So, you know, there you have it. I mean, well, Negan pulls... got away from all of that. Get him out on the freaking road... Give us a character that we out can on the road. see. Get him out on the road. Give us a character that we can see through their eyes looking at Negan. Or whatever. Somebody Because he, otherwise he's... I don't want him to be like Lobo. I don't want him to be um, some know-it-all jerk, you know? He's got to have somebody he can bounce things off of. I don't want Negan walking around talking to the spirit of a dead physical item for, yeah. for forever and ever i want 12 issues and i'm suspicious of the title that negan lives because they're going to end it with negan death <laughs> negan dies maybe why not give me 12 issues because you got to give me 12 issues because of how 
sparse or what's the opposite of dense <laughs> uh, uh, Walking Dead comic book is. Uh, it, it's we we need at least twelve issues to pull off what most comics could do in six. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a there's a lot of material there. Yeah. I, I mean, get him out on the road. Like I say, get him out on the road. Have him encounter other groups. Have him. I, it doesn't need to be a redemption story. He doesn't need to go out there and kill all of the bad guys that are worse than he ever was. He can skirt the bad guys. It's not his job to go out there and make us like. Don't turn him into a hero. Don't turn him at like. What's the worst thing that ever happened to Wolverine? Well, we made him a superhero instead of being, you know, the the antihero. An awesome like antihero. It's the same thing with yeah. the Punisher. When the Punisher comes off being a little bit crazy, instead of somebody who, who, is uh, is motivated, even his friends are scared of him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a certain degree of like, let Negan be Negan. Get him out there, and he helps these guys. Get him out there, and he kills all of these guys. Get him out there, and he rescues some people, and tells them to f off, and he keeps walking. Nobody is consistent when they're that dehydrated and hungry. No one is consistent when they live in a world where they're never comfortable and there's no AC or there's no Good heat. Point. Good where point. you're constantly living under the threat of disembowelment. I mean, let it be inconsistent. Just give us vignettes. I don't care. But just maintain the idea that Negan can continue to be who he is. I like that we've got a Negan logo now. <laughs> I guess we do. We got a Negan typeface. Yeah, we got a Negan typeface when the the G, the G is like some broken wrench. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's all I got for that, man. I was just glad to slave over it with you, man. I'm gonna go then because we're talking about. Uh, I don't know. You got you got more. Or you got I got I got more. I can talk about because it, I think that this. Oh, keep going, man. Keep I wanna, going. I want to talk briefly on a, on a TV series that I have uh, I have been mentioning for a while, at least in since January. Matt Matt Damon? No, definitely not Matt Damon. Uh, uh, so since we're talking about the nature of good and evil, in a, in a capacity where it's not always entirely obvious, because you're even asking the question like. Whose laws are we paying attention to? Uh, I recently finished watching uh, in a three-hour binge session The Man in the High Castle. And I've downloaded the book. I can't wait to start listening to it uh, as I'm driving around on this next job. Please. And so Philip K. Dick wrote this book uh, many, many years ago. And it got turned into an Amazon Prime TV series in 2015. And I thought it was a compelling idea, but I didn't get into it. And then suddenly it was over. And I was like, oh, man, I feel like I could have been riding that wave while it was awesome. But I'll tell you, if I had to wait for it, I might have fallen off of it and then come back. But I never found anybody. I never knew anybody who was like, oh, my gosh, you should be watching this. Oh, my gosh, I'm watching this and this is awesome and I like these characters or this, that and the other. Like, I feel like... It got four seasons because people believed in it at the, uh, you know, in, in, in that company 
But I never heard, I never saw people posting like, oh my god, I love John Smith uh, so much that I, I've got to stick with this program. This is a this is a gutsy, gutsy concept to make out, make TV out of. So, The Man in the High Castle is a story where it's 1962 in America, but it is Nazi-occupied America, the greater Nazi Reich, from the east side of the Rockies all the way to the east coast, and it is the, it is the uh, uh, Japanese Pacific States from the west side of the Rockies all the way to the west coast. Interesting. And, it is an alternate reality where uh, uh, President Roosevelt was assassinated way before he was able to do the New Deal and help try to guide the United States out of the Great Depression. And that, that being the case, the U.S. was way more isolationist by the time the Nazis were kicking everybody's ass in Europe. And uh, the U.S. was not going to get involved when the Nazis managed to get across and eventually deal with Great Britain, uh, ultimately taking over all of North Africa, the Japanese taking over and developing the Greater East Asian Co-Prosperity Sphere. That was actually the name of what they were trying to accomplish in World War II. The U.S. just was a non-entity. And so... When uh, So the show focuses on this, it's been 20 years, it's been a generation of people who grew up under Nazi or uh, Japanese military rule occupation. And uh, the U.S. is controlled from New York. There is a character, like I said, his name is John Smith. He's the Obergruppenfuhrer. He's married. He has a wonderful wife. He has his wonderful son. He has his two darling daughters. And... They are all Nazis. They are aspiring Nazis. They are going to develop into amazing Nazi progeny. Uh, do they? Do they still have like Hitler Youth and all that sort of stuff? And the like. Yeah. What about the? Uh, what about the uh, camps? Well, I don't know. Like retreats for the uh, women that aspire to be Nazi wives. Um. Yes. Yes. And in fact, that comes up more or less in season two. One of the characters, the fascinating thing about this is that there are protagonists in each season who eventually phase out and new protagonists come in. Uh, but it sticks mostly with um, Juliana Crane as the protagonist of the series, uh, the trade minister in San Francisco, the Japanese trade minister, Inspector Kido of the Kempatai, the Japanese police, and then... Obergruppenfuhrer Smith and the the sphere of people operating around him, uh, Joe Blake being one of them, who is a Liebenstrom. Uh, he is a genetically engineered perfect Aryan guy. Um, oh wow! And uh, so there, it's it is made mention that there were camps where women were uh, impregnated with perfect Aryan babies and stuff like that. Uh, and then it's also, uh, in the fourth season, Himmler's wife is, uh, a, is giving um, Helen Smith a hard time because she's not perpetuating the ideal of a perfect Nazi mother and wife any longer. And uh, 
That's scary. It is scary. Uh, the Smiths enjoy... That you're not Nazi enough? Better, wow. They enjoy better freedoms in the first season when... Like like what? Well, I mean, their lives are are under the microscope, but the higher they climb in Nazi society, the more dangerous every single thing in their lives, every decision they make, every everything they say... The scrutiny is enormous. Uh, and the pressures just get more and more and more for this guy who is the villain of the series. But you find yourself rooting for him. You find yourself rooting for Nazis. You find yourself crying over the death of Nazi characters in this series because they write it that well? Yes, because the characters... You, you're, you're sitting here looking at this kid who has multiple, scler- multiple sclerosis. That's a huge part of the plot. And you know they have to let him go. That You know they have to let him die. And it's like this horrible choice. It's the beginning of the end. You know, when you've got these right. characters who are that high in this society. And then you've got characters on the other side of the country, which is technically a whole other country, where you've got Juliana, who is a woman coming back from a an injury. And she's an Aikido brown belt or black belt. Or, and uh, she got hit by a bus. And you, it's always asked, you know, like, what, what happened to her? She lost faith. She couldn't believe she was still living in a world where they were under occupation. And she walked in front of a bus and she survived it. And her, her husband or her, her boyfriend, live-in boyfriend, Frank Frank Frank, uh, who is Jewish in San Francisco, he has to keep his Jewish identity under wraps because of the... Uh, grinding but mutually beneficial relationship between the Nazi, the greater Nazi Reich and the Jewish Pacific states. You know, well, why do you let these Negroes still live in your country, they would ask. And why do you still let, you know, if you had Jews living here, wouldn't you send them our way to get rid of them? How is this, like, okay, so my my question is okay so Philip K Dick wrote this obviously he wasn't a white supremacist uh he was more no, of a, 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 sci-fi a very writer. sci-fi yeah well not just that but the, the guy was someone that was able to take what's happening in or in figure out where it might end up going because i feel like yes. a lot of times yes, his books were, were were written from a sense that like i'm really scared that this might happen like 1982 or um, 1984 84, sorry, I always get that wrong. Um, but then again, I, I worry about it because I feel like the the wrong people are going to find this book and be like, hey, no, blueprint, no. baby. This blueprint. is the answer. But, but, what I understand in the book is that there is a... What what happens in, our, in, in a repressive society is that someone will eventually develop... Some, some creative, some member of the intelligentsia will eventually write something produce something creative that challenges the status quo. 
Well, in this in the book, I know that a book that people are reading is called uh, "The Grasshopper Lies Heavy." In the TV series, <clears throat> Juliana's sister appears, and she has a film reel, and there's a tape okay. on it that says "The Grasshopper Lies Heavy," and she brings it home and she watches it, and she shows it to her boyfriend, and it shows the Allies winning World War II twenty years ago. Wow. And the footage is too real for this oh. to have been faked. Oh. And what she eventually discovers through the course of the first season is that this comes from a parallel universe. Awesome. And every time anyone sees this film or a film like it, it it's 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 like being awakened from the Matrix. Okay. Awesome. And they know that that's not their world, but they, they, they realize there's, A, there's got to be a way to get there. B, there's got to be a way for them to help us. And C, there's got to be a way for us to get out of this, whatever this is. If they can be beaten anywhere, we can beat them here. That's awesome. That's and awesome. that is how the whole series goes. Like, Juliana starts off a broken person who has just got over the biggest hurdle of her life and then sees this thing and it, she, you know, is she going to become some kind of a revolutionary? Is she going to, is, is, is her boyfriend going to help out with that? Is their best friend going to become an, a, a helper in this or a liability? Uh, the Kempatai, the, the Japanese police are brutal towards anything, everything that challenges their authority. And then, of course, you've got this character floating back and forth from San Francisco to the, to the neutral zone between the two superpowers, the Rocky Mountains, uh, and you've got him going back and forth to New York. That's Joe Blake, who is an agent of... He's, he's one of the Nazis, but he's going back and forth. He falls in love with Juliana. Is he going to help her or is he going to inform on her or is he going to use her or is he going to protect her? It's the, just, dude, you never know what's going to happen in that first It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime, yeah. I've uh, got Prime. It is a dark, oppressive series. And I, I had to stop watching it when COVID started because I would watch an episode and I was so heavily ingrained in what was going on that I would get up, I would pause it, and I would get up to go get another coffee, and I had to shake my head. I was like, I'm not in this world. Oh, my God, I'm right. not in that world. And then because COVID started, and I was like, I need better morale. I cannot sit here loud thinking and clear. about this fascism. Because it, it, it could be happening, but also at the same time, one of the uh, luxuries we had before any of it happened mm-hmm. COVID-wise was that we could put the book down and go and oh, yeah. be happy. Yeah. Go, and, go to and, a bar. Go and, to a bar. Go, go hug your friend. Yeah, we couldn't do that. It was just up to me and I, you know, to take care of myself. And all I could do was, okay, stock my fridge, stock my pantry, uh, maintain my nutrition, maintain my health, maintain my distance, look after people over the phone, you know, maintain myself. That's, that's what I could do. And like, like I say, it's an oppressive series. You will know. The atmosphere of this show, when you get to the opening credits of every single episode, 
Okay. The song Edelweiss, sung in the way it is sung, and the imagery that is portrayed in the opening credits, will you will dial in immediately. Uh, Juliana Crane is portrayed by... Um, Oh my god, I can't think of her name suddenly. I'm going to have to look it up. She was... We mentioned Pitch Black earlier. Yeah. Uh, or, or, um... Chronicles I'm looking it up. Critic. Keep talking. Keep she talking. Was, I'm looking it up. Uh, yeah. The man in the high castle. There we go. Oh, I totally mis- misspelled that. Um, she was, uh... She was the female counterpart to uh, Vin Diesel in, um... In uh, Pitch Black, Pitch not Pitch Black, the other one. She was growing Chronicles up in of the Riddick. One. Chronicles of Riddick. Uh, Alexa Davalos. Dav- Davalos, yeah, Alexa Davalos. Um, uh, oh, DJ Qualls is in this. DJ I Qual- Qualls is in the first three episodes, first three seasons, and Shang Tsung is, is in it. So good, so good. Uh, Joel De La Fuente. I I cannot believe his acting range. Uh, he was so lovable in Space Above and Beyond as Paul Wang, uh, a, a U.S. Uh, U.S. Marine, like a space marine in that series, and to pl- to have him playing ambassador uh, to play um, uh, Inspector Keto in this, he is a terrifying villain, but you end up loving him too, like. You know, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Like, everybody's story arcs are so impressive in this series. Rufus Sewell is playing uh, John Smith, Uber Group and Fuhrer John Smith. And, dude, like, you just constantly choking on the on concern for these people's lives. There is just danger oh, and he was in Dark everywhere. City. Yeah, he was the protagonist in Dark City. That, that movie ruled, but hey, man, I got to get to work in the morning. Yeah, for real. Uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, guys, check this show out if you haven't seen it. Uh, stick with it. Five, six episodes. See where it goes because uh, it's different every single season. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, that's what I got on that one. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, for, thank you, uh, everybody, for everything. And uh, <laughs> we'll shut it down right now. <laughs> this is dangerous. This transmission is over.